Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We're saved by grace through faith, but the assurance of our salvation is faith and a changed life. Christ comes to indwell you, He must make some changes in your life. How can you have the God of the universe indwelling you and you not be different? And so the Scripture gives us no less than 11 things you should see in your life if you indeed are a Christian. Just because a person says they are a Christian doesn't mean that they are one. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, and he means the judgment day, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. And so it's possible for us to be Christian in name only. So we're looking at these 11 tests, and I encourage you to look at your bulletin if you have it. And I have the first nine tests listed there, and we'll simply go over them very briefly. And again, some of these you may see more in your life than another, depending on your spiritual maturity. But there should be some evidences in your life. A person has a desire to walk in the light and in fellowship with God. Number two, a person desires to be obedient to God's commands and to surrender to Christ's lordship. Number three, the pursuit and realization of a personal relationship with God in Christ. Number four, there's a consistent struggle for victory over personal sin and Satan. Number five, a person has a growing appreciation for the power and the authority of God's Word. Number six, a person has a growing love for the things which honor God, along with a growing contempt for the worldliness which opposes God. Number seven, there is a perseverance of the believer in his commitment to the Lordship of Jesus until death. Number eight, True followers of Jesus will love one another. And number nine, the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Now today we come to number ten. That is the reality of answered prayers in the Christian's life. In 1 John chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 13. And in respect for the Word of God, would I ask you to stand? These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence. Now note that word confidence. We're going to see it several times today. This is the confidence which we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. You may be seated. Notice John says, I've written these things that you might know that you have eternal life. And that is that when you ask according to His will, He hears. When He hears, He answers. 
I think John is saying one of the ways you can know you have eternal life is by the reality of answered prayers in your life. There are countless promises in the Scriptures about God's answering prayers. If a Christian is in is in right relation to God, he will see answers to his prayers. Therefore, if you're seeing answers to your prayers, it is a good indication that you are a Christian. You might be thinking, but preacher, won't God hear anybody's prayers? And the answer to that is no. God will not hear anybody's prayers. Only the Christian can expect God to hear and answer his prayers. Only prayer that God will answer the non-Christian is the prayer of repentance, which actually is a prayer of faith. What basis does a non-Christian have for coming into God's presence in prayer? Can he come on the basis of his goodness? How good would he have to be? Perfect. Can he come on the basis of his sincerity? Well, but, but, but he's sincere. He really wants God to hear his prayer. Can he come on the basis of his good works? He's done a lot of good works. Well, let's think for a moment. How can a person come into God's presence? Who can come into the presence of a holy God? First, only the one who comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the one who comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 speaks to this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, as that word confidence again, it means boldness, assurance. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how? By your goodness? By your good works? By your sincerity? No, by the blood of Jesus. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is referring to is he's referring to the Old Testament. And he's referring to the tabernacle or the temple. You remember the tabernacle was built by Moses as God instructed him to build it. God gave him very detailed plans of exactly how to build the tabernacle because God said to Moses, this tabernacle is a copy of of the true tabernacle that is in heaven. And so God is saying, I want to teach some lessons here on earth that are realities in heaven. And so on the slide you have an outline of the Old Testament tabernacle. Now what I want you to notice is that persons or the priest would approach the Ark of the Covenant, which was where God dwelt with His people, which was considered the Holy of Holies, here in Hebrews, called the holy place, but they would approach it from the right. But notice the first thing the priest had to go through before he could ever make it to the Ark of the Covenant, where God dwelt. The brazen altar. That was where the sacrifices were offered. That is where the blood of bulls and goats were spilt. That was God saying, no one, can come into my holy presence 
unless he first comes through the blood of sacrifice. And then there was the labor where he would wash, symbolizing the cleansing that was accomplished through the blood of the sacrifice. Now you remember only one person could go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that was the high priest. And he could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he could go only after he had first offered a sacrifice, the shed blood of a sacrifice to cover his sins and the sins of Israel. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle that blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant where God is said to reside with his people between the cherubim. God says this is a picture. This is a copy of what is a, will occur in heaven someday with the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. All of this was just a foreshadow of the reality, and that is Jesus. Jesus was not only the sacrifice, but the high priest as well. And so when Jesus came, He came, and offered His life as a sacrifice, as shedding His blood, that sinful man could go into the presence of holy God. I mean, who can go into God's holy presence? Even the sinless cherubim have to cover their faces and their feet before such holiness. How then can we, who are sinful, go into the presence of holy God? Hebrews says, only through the blood of Jesus. And with confidence, we can go into His presence. With boldness, we can go into His presence. Why? Because of you? No. Because of Jesus. Because Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. It was all sufficient. It was the perfect covering for our sins. Therefore, we can with confidence... Go into the presence of the Lord Jesus. Look at the, uh, go back to the next, the slide before that. Alright, okay, now go to the next one. Okay, here you see the veil. This was what separated the holy place from the holy of holies. This is the veil that the high priest and only the high priest could go through once a year into the presence of Almighty God. So, who can go into God's presence and offer His prayers? Only one who comes through the blood of Jesus. Secondly, only one who has Jesus as His high priest. Look over again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. By a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil. That is, His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Here again, the writer of Hebrews is warning us to think back in the temple and tabernacle, where that veil, and that veil was said to be as thick as the palm of a man's hand. That veil separated the holy of holies from the holy place, and only the high priest could enter. The holy of holies was considered so sacred 
that even the Levites, when they would move the tabernacle, would take this veil and they would walk backwards so as not to look at the Ark of the Covenant and they would place the veil over the Ark of the Covenant. And then they couldn't touch the Ark, but they had poles that were through the Ark rings that were on the sides and they would pick up those poles. That's how sacred it was considered because no sinful person could enter the presence of God. But yet the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus has inaugurated a new and living way that we could go through the veil. Because you know what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The veil was torn in two. It was rent. When Jesus' flesh was torn in two, that was the symbolic of the veil being torn so that now we can go into the presence of holy God through the blood of Jesus, through His torn flesh on the cross. He inaugurated that new way. You see, the priest went into the Holy of Holies on earth, but when Jesus died, when He ascended, He went into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And He went through His blood and through His torn flesh, and He opened the way so you and I, who are covered in His blood, who have Him as our high priest, can go into His presence too. That's the only way. So who can go into God's presence and lift up a prayer? Only those who come through the blood of Christ. Only those who have Christ as their high priest. But thirdly, only the one who has the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians 2.18. For through Him, we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. One Spirit to the Father. Access. See this word access? It was used in the biblical Greek times to speak about someone being ushered into the presence of a king. You could not get into the king's presence on your own. And so, someone who knew the king, who had the king's favor, who had the king's ear, he could get you into the presence of the king. Right? You remember when Joe Frank Harris was was governor of Georgia? Some of you may be too young for that. Well, it just so happened that one of my best friends growing up in high school was the aide-de-camp to Joe Frank Harris when he was governor. Now, there's no way I could have called up Joe Frank and said, hey, I want to come see you, Joe Frank. I'd like to get my picture made with you. Couldn't do it. Wouldn't even get through. But my friend, who was his chief aide, could go on my behalf, and I could go in and talk to him and get him a picture made. And I did. The point being, what I couldn't do Someone who had the close relationship with the authority could do for me, right? That's the picture here. The Holy Spirit introduces us, gives us access to the throne room of God. So who can come into God's presence? Only one who comes through the blood of Christ. Only one who has Christ as his high priest. Only one who has the Holy Spirit. All right. Who qualifies on those three things? Comes through the blood. Who has Jesus as his high priest. Who has the Holy Spirit. The Christian. The only person that meets these three qualifications is a Christian. Therefore, The only person who can pray and have any expectation that God will answer his prayer is a Christian. 
All right, so who can come into God's presence? A Christian. That brings us to another question. Who can realistically expect answers to their prayers? Is that every Christian? No. Uh Uh-uh. Every Christian can come into God's presence, but not every Christian can expect realistically to have his prayers answered. You see, God's promises on prayer are clearly conditional promises. God never gives an unconditional promise about answering your prayers. He's got more sense than that. Because He knows you would ask for the wrong thing. He knows I would ask for the wrong thing. And so He never gives unconditional promises about answered prayer. They're always conditional. But once you're a Christian, and you can go into God's presence, what do you need to do then to realistically be able to expect answers to your prayers? Well, here our passage tells us clearly, 1 John 5. You've got to ask according to His will. It's not a blank check. What does He say so clearly there? And we know and we have the confidence before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, it must be God's will for you. Well, preacher, how do I know God's will? You know God's will through God's Word through prayer, through talking to God, through searching His Word. You see, there is a connection with another condition Jesus gave for answered prayer. Over in John chapter 15, if you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. Now what might appear as a blank check When looked at more closely, it becomes very clear that the condition of you getting whatever you ask is that you must abide in His Word. And you must abide in the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to abide in the Word? It means to remain steadfastly. It means to stay. It means to live. Now, you don't abide here. You abide wherever your home address is. You visit here. But you don't abide. Too many Christians visit the Word, but they don't abide in the Word. But Jesus says, if you will abide in His Word, you will live in that Word, let that Word saturate your mind, let it renew your mind, and you will think the thoughts that God thinks, guess what? When you pray, you're going to pray according to God's will. And when you pray according to God's will, He's going to answer that prayer. And so when Jesus says, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you, He knows that when you're abiding in His Word and He's abiding in you, you're not going to ask anything that's not according to His will. Because the Word of God will have shaped your mind and your will so that you will desire what He desires. So first, you've got to ask according to His will. What else? Is there another condition, Pastor? Yes, it is. We see that in chapter 3 of 1 John, in verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. 
All right. You're not keeping the commandments of God. Don't you expect to have your prayers answered? Obedience is very important to the Christian life. If you're living in disobedience, don't expect answers to prayers. Well, what commandments is he talking about? Well, let's look. He tells us. Verse 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. First, believe in the name. You remember, name in the Greek equals person. There was no Greek word for person. And so instead of saying person, believe in the person of Jesus Christ, they would say name. They understood that to mean the person. So first, you've got to believe in the name, the person of Jesus Christ. Another way of saying it, it means you're a Christian. That means that you have accepted Jesus' life, perfect life, His death on the cross, His payment for your sins, His resurrection from the dead, and His ascension to the right hand of the Father as everything necessary for you to be saved. You know you cannot add anything to it. You believe He He is God. He is the Son of God. He is Savior and He's your Lord. And you've surrendered your will to His will as Lord of your life, trusting what He has done to be everything necessary for you to have your sins forgiven and you to have a place in heaven. So you place your trust in Him. That's the first thing, your commandment, that you believe in the name, that you trust in the name, the person of Jesus. But that's not all. Look what else it says. And you love one another just as He has commanded us. So, be a Christian, walk in under the Lordship of Christ, and love one another. You remember what Paul said? He said, all the commandments are fulfilled in this. Love one another. If you love one another, you won't be lying, you won't be stealing, you won't be murdering, you won't be doing the other things. And so the word is, love one another, obey the commandments of God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you have to do to have answered prayers? Well, you need to be asking according to God's will. Next, you need to be following His command, which is to love one another and believe on Him. But there's more. Look in verse 22 again. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, wait a minute. Do the things that are pleasing in His sight. You see, it's not enough just to love one another and believe in Jesus, but you need to do the things that are pleasing in His sight. In other words, more than just pray and give and and come to church, more than just what's required, but do the things that are pleasing in His sight. I think here we see the fatherhood of God coming out. As a parent, you don't want your kids just to do the required things. Don't you want them to go a step further and say, Mom, Dad, I want to do what pleases you. Tell me what pleases you, and I want to do it. Not just not do the wrong things, but I want to do what pleases you. This shows a greater love. God wants His children to do what pleases Him. You see, the question we ask should not be, is this thing wrong for me to do? But the question should be, does this please God for me to do this? Is it pleasing to Him? 
I want to just talk about a few things that are pleasing to God at this point. This is not an exhausted list by any means. But I don't want you to go away from here wondering, well, what pleases God? I want to give you some things. First, it pleases God when we offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You remember, that's when everything's going rotten, but yet you thank God anyway. You have to sacrifice your mind because you can't see why you should thank God. You sacrifice your emotions because you don't feel thankful. You even sacrifice your will because truth is you don't want to thank God for it. But you sacrifice all three of those, and in faith you thank God for that awful situation. Look at what it says over in Psalm 69. I will praise the name of God with song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. And what will it do? It will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. And he means the sacrifice of the ox and the bull. Even though the aroma of that sacrifice was a fragrant aroma to God, it says, he says, when you will offer to me the sacrifice of thanksgiving, that will please me more than any sacrifice. It pleases God. Next, it pleases God when we glory in His sovereign will. Look in Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deeps. God only does what He pleases. Now that stands to reason to me then what He does pleases Him, right? So when I rejoice in what He does, that pleases Him. Because what He does pleases Him. And so when I see things going on in my life, or perhaps even in somebody else's life, or maybe even in this nation that I just don't understand and I just can't see why this should happen or why this would happen, but I know it is according to God's sovereign will what I need to do. Praise God for it. I need to glory in His sovereign will. God, I don't understand it, but I know You're in control. I know You know this situation and You're in control and You're working out Your perfect plan for me for this nation, for this situation, and I'm just going to glory in that. That pleases Him. Because you're looking to Him above your own understanding of what you can figure out, what things are going on. So that pleases Him. Thirdly, it pleases Him when you magnify the death of Jesus. Look over in Isaiah 53. It says, But the Lord was pleased to crush Him putting him to grief, if he should render himself a guilt offering. God was pleased to crush Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. So when you and I magnify the death of Jesus for our sins, that pleases God. When we praise Him and exalt Him and lift Him up for His willingness to die for our sins, to take our place on that cross, it pleases Him. And then fourthly, when we bear fruit in good works and increase in knowledge of Him, it pleases Him. Colossians 1.10 So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So when you and I do good works, bear fruit in good works, grow in our knowledge of Him, it pleases Him. And then number five, 
when we praise Him and thank Him and do good works and share it with others, it pleases Him. Look over in Hebrews 13. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So he's talking about the sacrifice of the fruits of lips that give thanks to His name. He's talking about the sacrifice of doing good works. He's talking about the sacrifice of sharing with others. When we do these things, God's pleased. You and I don't offer animal sacrifices in the new covenant because Jesus was the last and final sacrifice. But that doesn't mean we don't offer sacrifices. It says right here. We don't offer them for forgiveness of sin because Jesus did that. But we offer them as an expression of our love and faith in God. The fruit of lips that offer thanks. Doing good works. Sharing. God is pleased with these. R.A. Torrey tells a story, and he was a pastor uh, back in the last century. And he tells the story of this lady that was a member of his church some years past, and, and then she stopped coming, and a few years later he happened to see her as he was walking down the road, and so he he said, hey, to her, and he said, uh, uh, you used to be a member of our church, didn't you? She said, yes. He said, well, why did you stop? She says, because I don't believe the Bible anymore. And he said, well, why don't you believe the Bible anymore? And she said, because God doesn't keep His promises. And he said, well, name me one single promise in the Bible that God has not kept. She said, okay. Doesn't the Bible say, if you desire anything, ask and believe and you shall receive? He said, well, it says something like that. She said, well, my husband was sick, and I asked God to heal him, and I believe God was going to heal him, but he died. And so God didn't keep His promise. And R.A. Torrey said, yes, God did keep His promise. She said, what do you mean? Doesn't the Bible say, if we desire anything, and we ask, believing, we shall receive? He said something like that. Well, then God didn't keep His promise. He said, no, God did keep His promise. She said, well, what do you mean? What does the Bible exactly say then? He said, the Bible says, if you desire anything and you ask, believing, you shall receive. And he said to her, are you the you that he's talking about in that verse? And she said, well, what does it mean to be that you? And he took her over this verse in 1 John 3.22. If you keep His commandments and you do the things that are pleasing to Him. He said, if you, do, are you obeying all the commandments? Were you obeying all the commandments of God when you offered that prayer? Were you seeking to please Him in every area of your life? Were you doing everything to the glory of God? And she said, No. He said, well, God didn't break His promise to you, did He? Because that promise was never yours. She saw the truth of it, and she started coming back to church. So the question is, do you pass the test? Are you seeing answers to your prayers? They need to be specific prayers. You prayed last summer that 
rain would come during the drought and rain came, you can't claim that one because probably thousands of other Christians were praying for that too. So you need to get down to specifics. Prayers about you and your situation. I remember when a few years ago we, I was desiring it, that we have a RUI ministry here and and uh, Mark Baker and his family came, and God began to touch my heart. And I said, God, if Mark's the one, I said, would you touch his heart? If he's the one you would have to direct this ministry, will you touch his heart? And then I went up to, to Mark, and I said, Mark, I believe God wants you to head up this ministry. Will you pray about it? He said, you know, I will pray, but I don't need to. God's already been telling me I need to do, I need a ministry. I was getting ready to come up to you and say, preacher, i got to do something. God's telling me I need to minister. Where is it? And that's a specific answer to a prayer. And so, are you seeing God answer specific prayers that you are asking Him to answer? If you are, then that's a good indication that you are one of His children. If you're coming through the blood of Christ, you have Christ as your high priest, and you have the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, And to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications on ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.